Well, tonight I want to talk to you about the book of Matthew. And I want you to turn to the 24th chapter of Matthew. And anytime I bring out my chart, you know that it might have something to do with prophecy. There's just a possibility. Because there's a, a few things mentioned into the 24th and the 25th chapter that's um, a little difficult to understand. And um, it's called the Olivet Discourse. Because upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples had uh, mentioned to uh, Jesus about, uh, you know, when he's going to come back. And they were showing him the temple and how beautiful it was. And um, he says, by the way, all these stones are going to be thrown down. And then he talked to them about when he's going to come. So Jesus is not talking to them about the rapture when he's coming for us. Now, what we're talking about right now is when Christ was back here, he hadn't yet died. This is in Matthew chapter 24. So this is before the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're not going to be talking about this period of time from here to here. So between Pentecost and the rapture of the church, we're going to take all of that, just pretend it's not there. And we're going to study Matthew because it talks about the king and the kingdom. So Matthew was a person God used to write the book of Matthew. And lo and behold, right here in chapter 24, he makes some wonderful little, we call them memory pegs. That if you can remember this, then you know this follows. If you remember this, now this follows. And I used to teach people how to remember things <laughs> long ago. But I used to have a fairly good memory, and I could remember a lot of stuff. And um, so that was when I had my other brain. When I hit 60, my, that brain went away, and I had to start all over again. So here in Matthew in chapter 24, you'll look, at, look and they, they made a question in verse 2. Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? Which shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world, or the end of the age? So now Jesus begins to talk to them. So you jump from where they are then over to here. You go, go start over here and go forward. And all the scripture will perfectly dovetail. But if you try to put all the things that he's talking about in here, none of it fits. It just won't fit because it didn't happen. Jesus has not come back yet. He hasn't set up his kingdom yet. But there are some things that he lets us know. One of the things is this. Jesus was the king of the Jews, not the Gentiles. Of the Jews. And um, this is written to the Jewish people. And he picked his cabinet and gave him his constitution of how he's going to rule the kingdom. And that's in chapter 5, 6, and 7. So you've got an idea of what he's going to do and how he's going to rule and so on. But here in chapter 24, you'll notice in verse 15, that we've done this before. You have a good memory. You remember everything I told you. But verse, verse 15, this is talking about 
a scripture that was written in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, which God had told Daniel that upon thy city, thy people, there's going to be these 70 weeks, which boiled out to 490 years. So this is talking about the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy in the Old Testament. So if that's true, then it's about Israel. So verse 15 is about the Jewish people. And one of the ways we know that is because he says there in verse 15, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, that's in the Old Testament, stand in the holy place. Now the holy place was that in the temple of God. Well, in 70 A.D., which happened after Christ in 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed. And this scripture has not yet been fulfilled. So that means that in the future, that temple will have to be rebuilt. And so the Antichrist is going to go into that temple in the midst of the week, which was seven years. And that means three and a half years then the Antichrist, who is going to come on the scene, is going to go into that temple. So we know this has to take place in Israel. So these verses, all of this is talking about God fulfilling the promises made to Israel. None of this has to do with the church of which we are a part of. So let's just take and keep us out of the picture. Because if you don't, this is where a lot of times... People who like to study prophecy, if they don't get certain things right, they will be putting things out of place. And that it changes doctrine. And so you'll notice down here, you'll notice in verse 21. Verse 15 is in the middle. 21 is talking about a great tribulation period. The great tribulation, verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So the Bible is telling us that this is going to be for three and a half years after the Antichrist goes into the temple and claims that he is God. So that means there's going to be a one world government and a one world religion in the future. Many believe that that's going to be very, very close. I'm one of them. I believe it can happen very, very soon. Now, notice where we are and what we're talking about. Then you'll notice there in verse 27. Verse 27, For as the lightning cometh out of the east, shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Because they had asked him the question, When shall these things be? And when is your coming? So he says, After this tribulation period, then the Son comes back. This is called the Revelation. That's why when you study the book of Revelation, it's not the book of the rapture. It's the book of the Revelation. When Christ, the Son of Man, is revealed from heaven and every eye will see him when he comes. So he comes at the end of the tribulation period, those seven years. And according to Zechariah chapter 14, it said that his feet will touch upon the Mount of Olives. And we're talking about the Mount of Olives because this is the Olivet Discourse. And so his feet will touch upon the mountain. It will cleave in the mist. And all kinds of wonderful things are going to take place. Now, as you go down through here, you need to understand, this is all talking to Israel. None of this is talking to what's going to happen during the church age. And so when it talks about one taken, one let, that's not talking about the rapture. 
because that's not part of the subject, it's not in the context. But you'll notice now, in verse 29, Christ comes back in verse 27. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, stars shall fall from heaven, powers of the heavens shall be shaken, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. So we know that these things are going to happen here at the end of the tribulation period, and then the Son of Man will come. So it's kind of like looking at the contents in a book, and it's going to tell you what's going to be in the book. And then you read the chapters in the book. And there it is. He then said he's going to come in verse 27, but now he's really coming in verse 30, because now you're going to see him and tell him when you can recognize when it's getting really close. So the people that are living here during this period of time, he says, when ye shall see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place, then you lift up your eyes because the day's drawing nigh. You are going to see some more things that's going to take place. And these are only the beginning signs. But it's to the nation of Israel. A lot of people like to take these prophecies and say, well, now prophecy is being fulfilled every day. No, it's getting ready to be fulfilled, but it's not being fulfilled yet. We're only getting ready for the fulfillment of many things that's going to happen during this period of time. Because, you see, we're so close here that whatever's going to happen here, we're close and we can see things lining up. Like the Bible says that when um, there's going to be this uh, battle where Russia is going to come down against uh, Israel. Well, it names some of the allies in Russia and uh, Turkey and Iran and Iraq and uh, Libya. All those were names of places in the 39th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, 38th and 39th chapter. So lo and behold, in the days in which we live, those are lining up today, and they are on their same side. So it's not just a coincidence. We're living in an exciting time. But uh, we only pray that we can have a little, you know, tranquility while we wait for the rapture to take place. Because we would like for the rapture to take place soon, before it gets too bad. But remember, these are things that God has told that's going to happen to the nation of Israel. So you notice down here in verse 30, Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So this is when Christ comes back in Lord, that means that they are going to see him coming from out of space. Before he gets here, they'll see him coming. Wouldn't that scare you half to death? Be looking up there. He said, you know, something's coming out of the north, you know. Don't you put to be an empty place in the north? Well, there's something coming out of there. I can't wait for that to happen. I don't know how long he's going to take to make a trip. He might start seven years before he gets here. I don't know, but I think it's going to be wonderful. But anyway, as we're moving right along. Here you find now in verse 32. Now, he says, learn a parable of the fig tree. We're still talking about Israel. We're talking about the Jewish people. We're talking about the temple. We're talking about Jesus as the king of Israel. None of this has to do with the local church, the uh, spiritual church, the universal. It's not talking about the church in any way. It's talking about Israel. Because they're the one that ask them the question as they sit there looking at the temple and you can be on the Temple Mount and look east, and there's the Mount of Olives. Now, notice what he says here. 
Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, put it forth for leaves. You know that summer's nigh. In other words, you know that something is near when the leaves are coming out. We know it's spring, and whenever you see the blossoms, you know that there's going to be some fruit later. In other words, he's letting you know something's about to happen, and when you see this happen, you know this is about to happen. So it's to let them know and to warn them so that those people who are living here will know you don't have a lot of time. When they see this happen, then they know the battle of Armageddon is not far away. They're supposed to leave Jerusalem and flee for their lives. And so he tells them in verse 33, So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. When ye see all these things, here we are, we're over here. We're not going to be here and we're not going to see all these things because we're not part of the tribulation period. We are going to be taken out before it happens. So therefore, we're looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker. We're not going into the seven-year tribulation period. Now, there's a lot of people that teach, yes, they, we do. We go all the way through the tribulation period. No, we don't. And I don't care how much scripture they got, how much they understand. And some people act like, Yankee just don't know the Bible. Well, I know a couple verses here and there. And I think I've got it nailed down pretty good. So I believe that this is all talking about Israel. And when he makes this statement here, verse 34, Verily I said to you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, if that's talking about us, which one of us is it talking about? Because us has already lasted 2,000 years and most of the people have already died. We're at the end of this period of time. We're not even going to see this because God's going to take us out of here ahead of time. So when he says this generation, the generation that's living during this period of time, when they see this, then they can look up their height because they know what's going to happen in the starry heavens and what's going to happen with the sun and with the moon, the stars, all these things. The worst period of time the world has ever known they're going to be having to receive a mark of this last world government, the mark of the beast. And they're already experimenting putting little uh, chips in people's hands. And they're doing it on people's jobs. This will be an excellent way to track all of those illegals. You want to come in? Here's your little, your little pill. Put that under you. And we can, you can scan them and follow them anywhere they go. Won't that be the answer? We could have all everything. That don't need a wall. Just scan everybody and put that little chip in them, and there you go. We know who they are. We know where they are. You can track everybody down. Anyway, that's just Yankee Yali. But it will make sense. It'll make sense to people. Otherwise, they wouldn't accept it. But they're going to accept it because it makes sense to do something. And so we're about at the place in America where we want something ought to be done. And so we'll give government all the freedom they need to take away all of our freedoms. But anyway... When he says this, this generation shall not pass. This is the generation that will not pass. Because they will be the ones that will be here. They'll be the ones that will be able to see Christ in his glory. But not all the Jewish people here are going to survive the tribulation period. That's why when you read Matthew 24, it talks about, you know, some of the people are going to die. And so um, there's the parable of the ten virgins. We'll see that in just a second. But now notice, so he's going to come back and there's going to be this um, opening of the Mount of Olives. 
And then we have a little story he gives us here. So he's un, he done brought them all the way up to here until he's coming back. And then he's kind of like, now let me back up and tell you a little bit more what you need to know. So he refers to a couple of events in the past that have already happened. So he's going to talk to him about this situation. Look there in uh, verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So Christ coming here is going to be like the flood back there. It means they married and gave in marriage and they built and sold and blah, blah, blah. They lived life and all of a sudden, boom, it rained. The flood came. Boom. And this is going to be like that in the sense that um, all of a sudden it happens. Nothing's going on. Nothing's happening. Same old day in, day out routine. But for you and I, one of these days, this is going to happen. We're going to be sitting here in church or wherever you're going to be. And the Lord's going to come in the air. And every one of us that has trusted Christ as Savior is going to be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. See, that's when we meet the Lord in the air. He doesn't come to the earth. We meet him in the air. Here, he comes all the way to the earth. Two different comings. Two phases of, the, of a football game. First half and the second half. Or there's four quarters in the football game, but only one game. He's coming. This is called the second coming of Christ, but the two phases of his second coming. Just like when Christ came the first time, the Old Testament prophets had trouble trying to discern between the sufferings of the Messiah and the glory that should follow. So how can he come and be the knight in shining armor? And lo and behold, he came riding upon a donkey and was slaughtered. And so he had to come first and pay for the sins of the world. Now he's going to come back as the king. And he's going to rule and reign. And there's going to be this battle of Armageddon. And he will extinguish everybody that's against him. And he's going to set up his kingdom upon the earth. This is the Davidic millennial kingdom that was promised to Israel. Never promised to anybody else. Promised to Israel. So he makes the statement here also. In verse 38, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, knew not until the flood came, took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, this is not the rapture. We're not going to have a big old flood before the rapture. But it's talking about all of a sudden, boom, it happens. Then he also says there in verse 40, then shall two be in the field, one taken, one left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. One taken, one left. And so goes on down here and says all of these things. One taken, one left. And everybody's, that's talking about when the rapture takes place. One taken and one left. No, it's not talking about the rapture. Because that would be talking about the church. Church has not been revealed yet. And the things about the rapture taking place has not yet been revealed. He says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment. The twinkle of a... That's the truth that has not been yet revealed. If it's going to happen, this is going to happen back here, or this is going to happen up here, then this was mentioned in the Old Testament. You can find all this in the Old Testament, the tribulation period. It's in the book of Daniel. It's all in there. So that's not a mystery, but the church and the rapture, that is a mystery. So he goes down through here and he says several things. The reason for these scriptures that follow here is be ready. You don't know when it's going to happen. Be ready. Be ready. 
So he's telling them now, this is what's going to happen. Be ready. But he's addressing those people that are going to be here and see all these things happen. Because when he comes back, Israel will see the Lord and they will believe on him. So he said, be ready. You don't know the day of the hour, but I'm coming. And so he says here in verse 44, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour you think not the Son of Man cometh. So is he talking to the children of Israel? Yes, talking to Israel. And the day you don't think about it, it could, they, he could show up, be looking for the Lord. Because they're going to see, it would be like reading tomorrow's newspaper, and it'll tell you what's going to be taking place. And all that's revealed in the book of Revelation. And so he goes down through here and says about being a faithful servant and being ready and being wise in verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? In verse 46, blessed is that servant. So you're going to end up with this in this chapter. Uh, but the very next chapter starts off with that. Now let me give you two good illustrations. When he says, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto something. In other words, this is not all that um, you're supposed to take every little point in this story and try to make it mean something. No, the point of the whole ten virgin thing here is uh, you better be ready. Five were wise and five were foolish. Those wise, they were ready and the other ones, they were not ready. So he said, I'm coming, be ready. I'm coming, watch. And so that's why you'll find there in these previous chapters about watch Watch, watch. So you and I are supposed to be watching. Look there in verse 43 of chapter 24. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known and what watched the thief would have come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be you ready. But he's talking about watching and being ready. Now I can take these verses and these truths about this. I can apply them back here because it sure would fit. But you have to put it where it belongs, and it's talking about right here. But I believe that we ought to be also watching and being ready. But we're looking for the blessed hope, not the blessed tribulation. Because if the rapture doesn't take place until here, we got to go through this. And why tell us to look for the Lord at any moment when the Lord is not going to come at any moment? The first thing on the scene here is going to be Israel becoming a nation, which it already has, but also building their temple and a peace treaty being made with the nation of Israel, giving them the right to the land, the right to exist, to build their temple, and um, that hasn't been done yet. We would be looking for all of that. We'd be looking for the Antichrist to come and set up his little kingdom first if we don't leave until here, but he didn't tell us that. You read the book of 1 Thessalonians, it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ coming. He's coming at the end of every chapter. The Lord's coming, the Lord's coming, the Lord's coming. That's what we're looking for. And it's called the blessed hope. So we're not looking for the blessed tribulation. We're looking for the blessed hope. Our joyful anticipation that the Lord could come for us at any time. We're a different body than the Jewish people. God promised them a kingdom upon the earth. He did not promise us a kingdom upon the earth. We're the church. We are the bride of Christ. We are going to be married to the Lord. So the next time I get married, I will be the bride. And then he's going to come down and we're going to rule and reign with him. And we will live in what is called the holy city 
I believe that hovers above the earth. But anyway, that's uh, another sermon for uh, another period of time. Now, look there in chapter 25. And you'll notice that there are five wise, five foolish, and then he gets through in verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Now, we know according to the book of uh, Revelation chapter 19, it talks about the bride hath made herself ready. And so she's all dressed up in the righteous acts of the saints. And then the Bible talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then the following verses of chapter 19 of Revelation talks about Christ coming back in power and great glory. So we know that the wedding has to take place at the end of the tribulation period, here or there. But wherever the wedding is, it's that the bridegroom is coming. And Israel is to be ready. But who is he going to marry? He's not marrying Israel. He's marrying the church. We are the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. And so that day is coming. But now notice, you'll notice what he makes the statement here in verse 10. They that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut. Afterwards came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and says, verily I said to you, I know you not. Now, I want you to take your Bible, just hold your place right here. And I want you to take your Bible and look in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And you'll notice he had already said this one time before. Now in Matthew chapter 7, look in verse 21. Now notice this is still to the Jewish people. And he says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now look up here. Kingdom of heaven is this period of time upon the earth. This is not talking about heaven, talking about the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 5, he talks about, unless your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so he's talking to them and says, getting into this kingdom. See, he was going to set up that kingdom back there when he came. Why didn't he? Because they rejected the king. So when they rejected the king, they didn't get the kingdom. Because you don't have a kingdom without a king. And so the kingdom was postponed. And so the king promised, I'm coming back. So when he comes back, he's still coming to Mount of Olives. And where is that located? What country? Israel. Japan. Israel. Israel. So that's where he's coming to. And so you notice what he says here in this verse. When he says, Lord, Lord, shall uh, enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now in verse 22, many will say to me in that day, this day, when he comes back, he's getting ready to go into the kingdom. Many will say to me in that day, look what they will say. Have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils? In thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now this is a picture of the five foolish virgins that was not ready when he came. Because the one thing they did not have is they had never trusted Christ as their Savior. Five wise did, but five foolish did not. So you have a story given back here about the doctrinal position of it, and then a story, an illustration of it given in Matthew chapter 25. 
And that story has to be referring to this period of time right here because this is where the wedding takes place. This is where Christ comes back in power and great glory. Now, let's go back to the book of Matthew in chapter 25. So Matthew 25 is Jewish. It is about Israel. It's not about Gentiles. And then he talks about getting into this kingdom right here and about the light that a person has. How much light do you have? You see, God has given some people, gives a lot of light and a little bit more light and a little less light. But you see, every man's going to be judged according to the light that he has. And according to the light that you have, God is going to judge you accordingly. If you can find Matthew 25 in there, that would be wonderful. And um, so during this period of time, God gives some more truth than others. But God knows what he gives. But God judges you according to the light that you do have. Now, this is why in chapter 25, when he talks about in verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven, so we're still talking about the kingdom of heaven here. And he says, is as a man. Now, there's every little detail in here. You don't try to make it mean something because you go nuts trying to do it. What's the point? Just like with the five wise and the five fold. What's the point? Well, if you look at it in verse 20 and verse 10, once again, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and they were, that were ready. It's about being ready. Chapter 24 talks at the end of it about being ready and watching because this day is coming. and It's going to be upon you. Be ready. Because the kingdom is going to be setting up. And the only way you can get into the kingdom is you must believe in the Messiah. And so that's what you have to do there in verse 25, chapter 25. The first part is what you believe. Now, God is going to reward you here in the kingdom and you're going to get the rule with the Lord. That's a result of what you do for the Lord. So he gave different ones, different abilities, different talents. And talent doesn't have to always just refer to money, but it's an illustration. Some people have a lot of skills and ability and intellect. Okay, God will judge you according to that. Some people don't know as much. But whatever it is, God will give you more light when you accept the light that you have. And so one man was given a lot of light, and he increased in his light. When you take truth and you follow truth, you get more truth. One man only had five. One man only had one. The last one, he took his and buried his. In other words, to reject truth is to reject light. And so you don't get light, so you get darkness. And if you read the rest of it, you can get all of that in there. But anyway, I just want to try to give you uh, a, like an overview. Now, I want you to look there in verse 31. Verse 31, same chapter. Verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in His glory. Ta-da! He's here. When the Son of Man comes in His glory. That means... Uh, He's going to set up his kingdom upon the earth. Now, he's done took care of the battle of Armageddon, of the nations that rebelled against him. In Revelation chapter 19, we'll teach you that. So here, this is when he's going to rule upon the earth. Now, he's already judged the Jewish people by the ten virgins. That's God's judgment upon them and separating who gets to go and who doesn't. Now, in chapter 25 and verse 31 down, he's going to do it with the Gentiles. So the, the Jewish has been taken care of. They have accepted their Messiah. 
Now he's setting up his throne and he's going to judge the nations that came through the tribulation period and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Look what he says. And this is when he sits upon the throne of his glory. Verse 32, before him shall be gathered all nations. Now we're talking about the Gentiles. God's going to judge them. And he shall separate them one from another. That's what he just did in, uh, concerning the virgins. And he says, a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And then he says in verse 34, Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and ye gave me meat. And I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. And I was stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. And I was sick, and ye visited me. And I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer and say, What? When did we do all of that? He says, When saw we thee a stranger? And we took you in. And we did all of these things. When did that happen? He said in verse 40, And the king shall answer and say to them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren. All right, now let's just pretend for a moment. Here we have Jesse Martinez over here. Jesse Martinez, is, he's going to be a missionary. Now he knows Christ is the Savior and he wants to serve the Lord with all his heart. So he is to go and to reach the heathen, and we only got one, and she's way in the back of the room back there. So she's going to be the heathen, and he's got to go reach that heathen for the Lord. So, but he can't get up and walk back there. So now he's got to go to Bible college and spend four years, keep his nose to the grindstone. And then he's got to learn a language. She speaks Swahili. So he's got to learn how to speak Swahili. And on his way over there, the ship almost goes down and he almost drowns and he's just left on the board and he floats to an island and a snake bites him. I mean, just one problem after the other. And he went through all of these things. He, he's gotten sick and he's half dead and he finally gets there and he gives her the gospel and she accepts Christ as her Savior. Now, see, God looks at it this way. He did that for the Lord. So that was the Lord doing all of that. When did you see me when I was sick? And when did you see me when I was weak? When did you see me when I was hungry? All those people, and that's what they went through to reach somebody for the Lord. And so whenever he says, when you received them, you received him that sent him. You say, is that in the Bible? Well, I think it's in here somewhere. If it isn't, it ought to be. Look in Matthew 18, verse 5. That may be the right scripture, I'm not sure, but look in Matthew chapter, maybe 8 and verse 5. But we'll take a quick peek and see if we get close at all. Let's see here. Matthew 10, 14 would be a good verse to start. Matthew chapter 10, look at that one. Matthew chapter 10. He had sent his disciples out. Remember, this is to Israel. He said, don't go by the way of the Gentiles. And that's uh, mentioned in verse 6 and verse 5. So he says here in verse 11 of chapter 10, And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who is worthy. Or who's worthy? Those who want to know the truth. There's some people who reject the truth, reject light, don't want it. He says, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till you go thence. And when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And then verse 14, because he's going to explain what he's saying. 
For whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of his feet. That means they were not worthy. The ones that are worthy are those who listen to what you had to say and to believe on Christ. And so this is why these scriptures are in here, and that's why it's so important. Now, I want to give you another verse that will help you also to see this and what I'm talking about. If I can just find that right verse in just a minute. Uh, Look in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, if this is just a little bit further, look in verse 37. Verse 37. In verse 37, he says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And then he makes this statement. In verse 10, He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. So whenever people go for the Lord, and there's people who have suffered for the Lord, they've gone to prison for the Lord, they've given their life for the Lord, and all the heartache and the pain and suffering they've gone through, when you did it for Christ, that was like Christ went and did all of that, and by them accepting the message that you give to them, which is the gospel, by you receiving that message from them, Jesus says, you did that for me. And so we sacrifice for the Lord. Missionaries do this all the time. But not just missionaries. There's people who give faithfully in this ministry so we can reach other people for the gospel. But there's a price that you pay. There's the cost. So go back to Matthew in chapter 25. Back to Matthew in chapter 25. And those that do not accept Christ as their Savior, they do not have eternal life. They do not go past go. They don't get to go into the, the kingdom. So that's why he says in verse 34, Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand. Now, it's not the king talking to the church. This is the king talking to uh, the people upon the earth because he's going to set up his kingdom. And that's why he says, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then you'll notice that those who do not trust the Lord, look in verse 41. Remember in Matthew chapter 7 when he says, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Same thing here. Then shall he send also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. Then you look down in verse 46. These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Now look up here. When the Lord comes back in power and great glory, he'll judge the Jews, and then he'll judge the Gentiles, and those that are lost will be cast into the lake of fire. And those that believe on him will go into the kingdom, the millennial kingdom upon the earth. And that's the best I can do on this. I hope that you understand where I'm coming from. Because if you don't understand this, a lot of people can have a lot of ideas and things like that. But it's got to be bulk. It's got to be biblical. And this is dispensational teaching. In other words, there's periods of time. And things belong in a period of time. God formed the ages. He planned the ages. And God did all of this. Look up here. This hand representing you and me. And the wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God, see, he loves us. Now, he hates what we do wrong, but he loves us. Now, the reason Christ did all of this and revealed all of it, because God does not want us to go to the lake of fire. Doesn't want us to spend eternity separated from him. But God says that he loves us. 
but we have sinned. And because we've sinned, we have a debt to pay. We have to pay for what we did wrong. And to pay for this is eternal separation from God in hell. So mankind can't save himself. We're already condemned. We're not going to be condemned. You don't have to wait until some judgment down the road, you know, and God's got his long white hair and he's standing there on the, the scales. Right. That's not going to happen. You've already been judged by God. We're already condemned. We're already guilty. We're just waiting for the day of execution because the very moment you die, that's it. There's no judgment that you have to worry about to decide where you're going to spend eternity. You automatically in hell. But God says that he loves us. He hates our sin. And for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God. So God says, all that you have to do is be perfect. And nobody's perfect. But heaven is. So how are we going to get out of the situation? God says, you cannot earn your way to heaven. Not by your works. This hand represents Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Came into the world because he loves us, hates our sin, because our sin separates us from the Lord. So Jesus Christ, when he came the first time, he took all of our sins. And the first time he came, he died on the cross. He came back from the dead. And the only thing he wanted us to do is believe he did it for us. And he'll put this payment to our account. I get to go to heaven because all my sins are paid. I'm not in debt. All my sins have been paid. My debt's been paid. I like that. That's freedom. And so when you trust him as your Savior, he gives you eternal life and never casts you out and never lose you. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, I urge you to do so. Do it now. You don't have a lot of time. You that are watching by internet, just realize that God loves you. Yes, he does. Paid for your sins and all that you have to do. It's the only thing you can do. Would you believe that when Christ died, he died for you and paid for all of your sins? See, if you don't have any sins to pay for, where would you go when you die? To heaven. That's how you can know you're going to heaven. Because you don't have any sins to pay for. Christ paid for all of them. All you've got to do is believe it. And when you do, God saves you. Now, if you're in the auditorium and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I'm not going to have you forward. not going to embarrass you. But right where you're sitting, say, Preacher, that made sense to me. I want to trust Christ as my Savior. And I'd like for you to pray for me in closing. Would you just slip you in very quickly and put it right back down? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? If you already know Christ as your Savior, keep looking up. One of these days, it's going to happen. Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for all you do for us. And thank you for this time together and for each one. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.